0: Let's all stand together at this time. We're going to be looking in Ephesians chapter 2. I've uh, been preaching on our peace in Christ out of Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, this morning we're going to be talking about a glorious subject, the exceeding riches of His grace. Verse 7, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man, anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And may God bless the reading of his word today as my prayer. You may be seated. Our peace in Christ The message of the peace that is available to us through Jesus Christ was set in stark contrast to a world full of turmoil, strife, division, hatred, greed, violence, warfare. We don't idealize the times of the first century they were tough times. Quite frankly, the message of our peace in Christ is still set in contrast to just that kind of world. world hasn't changed very much. It is still a place filled with awful depravity and human degradation. And Paul described that former condition that all humanity experienced uh, in chapter 2 and verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power there, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We might occasionally look around and say, what's wrong with the world? This is what's wrong with the world. We might say, what's wrong with people? This is what's wrong with people. They don't know Jesus Christ because they don't know Jesus then. They are alienated from the life that only comes from God through him. They have no spiritual life. They're dead uh, to the things of God, dead to the spirit. Even though they're alive physically, they're spiritually dead. That is humanity's problem. They're lost. And being lost means they're dead in trespasses and sins. But they're still walking around physically alive, spiritually dead. They don't realize it, but they're walking according to the course of this world and following the prince of the power there. They don't realize. We see the evidence. It's clear for anybody who wants to look. You've seen it. I've seen it. Sometimes what people do and what they do to other people is demonic and depraved. I'm not telling you this morning that everybody in the world is as bad as they could be. But I'm telling you that everybody that does not know Jesus Christ is dead in their trespasses and sins, even though they're walking in them. And what they need, then, is very clearly spelled out in our text today. It is not a matter of reformation or refurbishing. Uh, I love to see what craftsmen can do to an old house that is a fixer-upper, although I must admit that I do get a little tired of listening to it from time to time. Uh, I love to see what an old hulk rusted out of a car or pickup can become in the hands of a committed restorer. But it isn't reformation, remodeling, refurbishing, or restoration that humanity needs. If it was, then the law would have done that. Because the law gave us a list of rules to follow. It gave us clear specifications. You do this, you don't do that. You go here, you don't go there. You live this way, you don't live this way. If reformation, rebottling, refurbishing could have done it, the law would have done it because it gave us clear instructions. But well, we couldn't follow the instructions. Couldn't follow the directions. In fact, most of us didn't ever even, <laughs> even read them. You can't follow the instructions if you don't even read them or know what they are. All efforts of fixing humanity through rules is doomed to failure. Whether it's God's rules or man's rules, people don't like living by the rules. And even though we have enforcers out there whose job is to make sure that we follow the rules, we still don't. Humanity believes a lie It is a lie that somehow there's freedom in not following the rules. Nobody to tell me what to do. Nobody to tell me how to live. Nobody to tell me that this is wrong or that this is right. I'm free. It's a myth. The freedom that that lifestyle offers leaves us forever being Charlie Brown, running toward the football that Lucy is holding, thinking this is going to be the time that she's not going to jerk it away, but she always does. And we always go flying up in the air and land flat on our back because the freedom that sin offers is a lie. It's a myth. What it really brings us in is that terrible feeling of humiliating defeat. That is the freedom that we think is there By being our own rule maker. Making up everything as we go. But the result of this is not called righteousness in scripture. It's called lawlessness. Lawlessness. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 says this. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 9. You have loved righteousness. God's saying this to his people. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. It's not gladness to be found in lawlessness. It's not there. Lawlessness breeds more of itself. Romans 6, 19, I speak in human terms. Because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented uh, yourselves, your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Lawlessness doesn't give freedom. It's just more and more lawlessness and more and more misery. So the problem of humanity then is this common position of sin and lawlessness. Then what exactly does God offer us to bring peace to our restless hearts? That's where our text comes in, verse 4. I'm going to read it again. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And this text tells us that God does three things for us, three things that we needed in our state of being dead in trespasses and sins. Number one, we needed to be made alive. I've got good news for you today. The gospel of Jesus Christ will do that for you. The holiday that we celebrate right now is celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ had the power over death. This is not something that he just sets up there in heaven and shouts down to us. He came down to this world and lived it out. That tomb is empty. And he then promises to give us life. And the same Jesus, same God who raised up Jesus from the dead will also quicken our mortal bodies. We have that promise, that assurance. That God will make us alive. But not only when we were dead in trespasses did he make us alive together with Christ. He raised us up together. (laughs) You see, uh, you don't leave a living person down there in the grave if they come back to life. He raised us up together and made us. How far did he raise us up? He made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Uh, You may think you're in Cabot, Arkansas this morning. You are. You're in Faith Baptist Church. You are. So am I. Uh, right there on Bill Foster Memorial Expressway. Uh, We'd have made that name a little bit longer if we could have figured out how to do it. But, uh, man, over yonder, on that main road, you know, close to the fire station. That's where we are. But I want you to know this morning, if you're saved, God sees you as seated in the heavenly places in Christ. You know in a practical way what that means? That means that you are as sure to go to heaven when you die as if you are already there. Because God has already decreed that you are. He sees you as if you were. He gave us an example of that with Abraham. You remember when he changed his name from Abram, which means father, to Abraham, which means the father of many. And the New Testament tells us that the reason that he did that is because God sees things that are not yet. And he calls things that have not happened yet as though they have already happened. Because he sees them. God sees us as seated in the heavenly places in Christ. That is our common position. And it is set and certain. So God has done these three things for us. This is what we needed. Dead and trespasses and sins. He raises us up together and makes us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. This shows us then this morning the existence of God's salvation. I'm not going to read this passage to you today, but I am going to again, but I'm going to put it up again for you. Ephesians 2 and 4 and 5, and I want you to notice the words I've highlighted. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Oh, didn't Paul say a mouthful? God doesn't just love us. He has great love for us. He's not just merciful to us. He is rich in mercy to us. He doesn't just have riches of grace. He has exceeding riches of grace available to us. Mercy, love, grace. That's what God Offers us in Jesus Christ. Think with me. We can't, I know we can't, but just think with me as best we can about humanity, about the depths of depravity that we see all around us and that we, to some degree, have experienced on our own. We think about the evil that humanity is capable of, unspeakable, inexpressible evil. Our ability to experience this evil and to spread it around among ourselves and advance its cause is increasing as our technology advances. Uh, we never have to leave the confines of our home if we were so inclined to steal that happens every day in this country. You don't have to actually walk up to a building and knock on a door, put a gun to somebody's head to take what belongs to them. All you need is a keyboard. You see, our technology has made it easier for us to lie to one another, to deceive one another, to practice all kinds of evil. I mentioned that this morning only so that we would understand that the further along that humanity goes, we're not improving our lot very much. We're making it easier and easier and easier to sin. And the mind and even the body grows immune to sin's effects, but the heart never does. The heart continues to feel the grief and the pain And it's sin and depravity then. Mankind goes ever deeper into his sin. And it is that that makes us wonder about God's mercy, God's love, and God's grace. We know about hell. And we think about a name like Hitler. And think about what that man did. And we see hell and think about Hitler and say, "Yep, yeah. I could name a dozen sins. And the people that commit them, we think about the mass murderers, the people who walk into a classroom and shoot down dozens of people. We think about these things. We see what humanity does to other people. We understand then why there's a hell. We can nod our heads to it. We can say amen to it. Yep. Makes sense. I'll tell you what doesn't make sense when you think about how sinful humanity is. And when you think about the fact that God says that all have sinned, all comes short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death. It's what it deserves. We think that all have sinned and comes short of the glory of God. I'll tell you what's amazing. Is that God loves us. God loves mankind. That God is merciful and gracious and forgiving. That's what's amazing. In fact, it's so amazing that, that some people look at this and, and they'll say, you know, I, I just I can't buy it that God so loved the whole world and uh, they'll argue with John 3.16. No, God, God just loves some people. God just loves the elect. You know, there were some, they were raised in church all their life. They were good little boys and girls. They never did anything bad. And, and they see that as evidence that somehow they were part of the, the, the chosen few that God decided to love and be merciful and gracious to us. Folks, I want to tell you just one thing. That is not what the Bible teaches about the love, mercy, and grace of God. When God says in John chapter 3, and verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him, should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm just foolish enough or smart enough. (laughs) I'm just a biblically committed Christian enough to believe it when God said whosoever, that's what he meant. That God loves the world. That God loved us while we were yet sinners. God loved us when we were hostile against him. God loved us when our hearts were full of hate and our minds were full of evil. We might not have even known it yet. God loves us. He loves the world. Not one of us can escape the condemnation of God's law. Romans chapter seven told us that, "Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good was in that which is good, made death unto me, God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful." You remember we saw last week that sin has a deadening effect on the human body, and it does. After a while, it doesn't seem so sinful to us anymore. If it weren't for the law of God, if it weren't for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, we'd never see sin for what it is. You want to see sin in its working clothes? Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. There all the glamour and the glitz and the glory is stripped away from sin, and you see it in all of its horrifying depravity. You see what sin did to Jesus Christ when it got his hands nailed to the cross, you see. That's what sin is. That's what sin is. But against that stands God loves. God stands God's love for sinners. He loves us. He's merciful and gracious to us because Jesus Christ came and died for our sin. So we're made alive with Christ. We're raised up with Christ. We're made to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. So that in the ages to come. God might show forth the exceeding riches of his grace. You see God doesn't just love us. He shows us great love. He's not just merciful. But he is rich. In mercy, He's not just gracious He's exceeding gracious God lavishes his love, mercy and grace On us in Jesus Christ I've told you before That I'm a miracle whip kind of guy I'm not a mayonnaise kind of guy I grew up, mama raised us on miracle whip First time I had mayonnaise I thought it was miracle whip that went bad Now I have... <laughs> I've developed a taste for mayonnaise over the years. I'm fine with mayo. It's okay. But, uh, I, you know, even Miracle Whip, I kind of like in smaller quantities. We stopped at a McDonald's one day. Nancy and I don't do that very often anymore since our kids are grown. And I say that only for all you young families. Your day is coming. <laughs> it, it will happen. We stopped at a McDonald's one day, and, and I ordered uh, one of their new Angus burgers. It was new at the time. And, and uh, as I always do, lettuce, no lettuce, uh, no onion. And apparently they made up for the lack of veggies by putting on a pile of mayonnaise. I mean, I had to peel the wrapper off the burger. And, you know, I'm trying to drive here with a burger. And every bite I took, it was squirting mayonnaise all over me. I'd take a bite and reach for a napkin. And, you know, a dry napkin does absolutely nothing with mayonnaise except spread it around. You know, I had mayonnaise in my beard. I had it down my shirt. I mean, it was... They had lavished the mayo... A lot of things are better really in small quantities. Perfume is one, amen. You know, aftershave, come on guys. You know, a little bit goes a long way with a lot of things. I'm glad God lavishes his love on us. I'm glad that God is rich in mercy and he is rich in grace. He lavishes it on us because we need it. We need it, his love, his mercy and grace. All over this passage. That is how. Brothers and sisters in Christ. That salvation exists. God. Is rich in mercy. God. Is exceeding. Rich in grace. God. Loves us. Greatly. because of that, salvation exists. But just knowing that it exists is, is not meaning that we are going to experience it. So how do we experience then God's great salvation? Well, We keep reading in the passage and it tells us very plain. This is kind of a John three sixteen kind of verse. Most of you know it by heart. For by grace are you saved, verse 8, through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus and two good works that God before ordained that we should walk in them. For by grace are you saved through faith. And God makes it very plain then in this passage that we experience salvation. Salvation exists. It is available. How do we experience it? We experience it by grace through faith. I've used that passage in more sermons than I can count. It's difficult for me to sit down with anybody and explain to anybody, whether they're 8 or 18 or 80. It's difficult for me to explain salvation without taking them to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. It is such a clear passage. doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. I underlined, emphasized a couple of passages there just so I can show you how they fit together. He says, for by grace are you saved. And then notice, and that not of yourselves. The, the And that, in that passage that you see it there, and that does not refer to faith. Now, it's a, a little obscure in Greek or in English. We read that and we just say, well, you know, normally a pronoun refers back to its nearest noun. In English, that's a rule, but it's not a rule in Greek. In Greek, they have to agree. And the agreement in this passage is not with faith, but with the phrase, are you saved? For by grace are you saved through faith. Now, that's the statement. Then he has a couple of negative statements. See it in the passage. Number one, and that not of yourselves. So for by grace are you saved. Number one, it's not of yourselves. Number two, it's not of works. And the third statement is the only positive statement. For we then are his workmanship. All three of those statements are qualifying statements. The first one. Now, I'm not giving that to you as an English lesson. I want you to have a real good understanding of what this passage means. For by grace are you saved through faith. That is a statement as clear as anybody could ever make it. And that is that salvation is by the grace of God. Salvation then is through faith. Through faith. That is, we believe. Salvation by grace. Through faith. A couple of things then are telling us, this passage tells us, number one, it is not of yourselves. Listen, there is nothing about salvation we can take credit for. Nothing that we can do is going to make us more saved Uh, Nothing we fail to do is going to make us less saved. Nobody is saved her, and thank God nobody is the savedest. Uh, We cannot add to it. It is what Jesus Christ has done for us. It is not of ourselves. Uh, Somebody says, well, now, wait a minute. You're telling me that believing, we have to believe in order to be saved. I'm not the one that's telling you that. The Word of God tells you that. Well, doesn't that mean that we work for it? Absolutely not. Look at Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So that faith is presented in this passage as the exact opposite of work. I can work my way to heaven. Or you think you can. A lot of people do. Or they say, you know, there's no way I can do that. There's no way I can save myself, and I know it because the Bible says it. Salvation is not of myself. And since it is not of myself, then, that I know that it's not from me, and therefore, I'm going to have to trust the one who can save me, and that's Jesus Christ. And so, it is not that we work when we believe. It is that we believe on, we trust in Jesus Christ to do for us what we cannot do, For ourselves. Now it takes the conviction of the Holy Spirit as He works through the truth of Scripture to convince us that we are sinners, to convince us then that we need a Savior, to convince us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. And that's not just truth, folk, that we believe at the prompting, at the work of the Holy Spirit as he takes the gospel then, and we see that, and we can understand it, and we believe on it, we trust in it, uh, but that's not of ourselves. That's the power of the gospel that does that. And I'm not making that up. Look at it, Romans 116, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, what is the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, that's the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This is not produced by human will or resolve. It's produced by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ as it is presented to us in the power of the Spirit of God. We see ourselves in need of a Savior, And everybody that's saved in this building today could remember, if prompted, the time when you felt that conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart. You felt it. And you knew that you needed to be saved. And you trusted Jesus Christ. And the older I get, the more impressed I am to trust Him because there's so much in life and living that I can neither understand or explain. And I just have to trust Jesus for it. Then it goes on to make it very clear for us that it's not only not of ourselves, but it's not by works. Lest any man should boast uh, there in verse 9. That it'd be the ultimate cause of spiritual pride if we worked our way into heaven. Uh, Some time ago, the the Daily Mail published in the UK ran a headline that says, now that's a show of faith. And the article discussed members of a Hindu religion that worshiped their goddess by piercing themselves with hooks. And they showed picture after picture of men with fish hooks, big hooks, tied to ropes, tied into the skin of their backs. They had a nine-mile pilgrimage to make their goddess's temple. And they were pulling along behind them carts and wagons. Some of them loaded down. And for the ones who didn't have the hooks in their back, they had stakes to their mouth. I don't bring this up to make fun of them. I bring them up to emphasize the incredible power of the real gospel of Jesus Christ that says that salvation is not by works. Not by works. What do we have to do to impress our deity? What do we have to do to coerce God? Can we bribe Him? Oh, America is absolutely filled up with people who think they can bribe God. If you want a miracle, send in an offering. If you need a really big envelope, really big miracle, send a really big offering in a really big envelope. Do we really think that? Well, those Hindus did. One of the ladies they interviewed said that she was there because she'd been married for six years and she had no children, and she was there to pray for God to bless, for their God to bless her with a child. if she didn't get one this year. And I don't know how she was saying that, by the way, because she had an arrow stuck to her mouth. Maybe next year have a bigger arrow. If it doesn't work, maybe next year have more fish hooks. If you don't get the miracle you want with the big offering you sent, send a bigger one. Maybe sooner or later God will hear you and you... Can blessings be bought? Can heaven be bought? Can God be bought? Brothers and sisters, you can't imagine how thankful that I am that I can stand in this place and preach the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that being right with God is not by works. Not by works. Lest any man should boast. Instead, he tells us that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Uh, The idea of workmanship is tied to our concept of craftsmanship. It also was used sometimes of the work of an artist creating a painting or a sculpture that is finished. If you ever visit a museum where famous works of art are displayed, especially the ones that look like something identifiable, You'll be amazed at how some of those old artists, especially like Rembrandt, paid attention to every single detail. Not just in the face of the subject, like Abraham offering Isaac, but right down to the leaves on the tree and the blades of grass and the clouds in the sky. Their amazing attention to detail. By definition, by definition... A masterpiece is something that has been finished. And if you try to do anything to it, you're going to deface it. That's why all of the great masterpieces are put up behind something where you can't get anywhere close to it. You can't do anything to it. It's it's a finished work of art. It was done by an artist. We are God's masterpiece of grace. We are his workmanship. And the place where works enters in is that we are not working in order to be saved. We are working because we are saved. And when we think about the incredible love that God has for us, when we think about the mercy and grace that he has lavished upon us, nothing makes sense except for us to live for him who died for us. To give our lives to the one who took the nails for you and 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 me. Nothing else makes sense. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to give glory to that one who has given us in life this new life. I could preach for another hour. I don't know how long I preach. It's 10 after 11. I got to go. Last week, I was in North Carolina. I heard something I hadn't heard in a long time. (laughs) If it looked like I knew how to do that, it's because I did. My first job was using these things in a grocery store, and I just kind of tore that Uh, sack. Heard a question asked, hadn't heard in a long time, paper or plastic. You see which one I chose, paper. Oh, if I was a grocery store in Cabot, Arkansas, I'd start offering paper bags. Because I'd shop there just to get paper sacks. I know there's no sense in that. I, it doesn't make sense. I know I just hate plastic bags. I like paper, I like the sound of it, the feel of it. There is no cosmic consequence that comes from choosing paper or plastic, it's just a simple choice. But when the Bible tells us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we can choose not to. I'm not going to tell you today that we can choose to be saved and be saved because the Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's a universal teaching of Scripture is that salvation is by grace through faith. We are saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. But I can tell you, you can choose not to be saved. Jesus spoke to a group of Pharisees and said, you would not come unto me that you might have life. You would not. They considered Jesus Christ and they said No. And I urge you this morning to consider the truth you've heard. God loves you. Greatly loves you. He is rich in mercy. And He is exceedingly rich in grace. And though He sees you dead in your trespasses and sins, He loves you anyway. And because he loves you, he will give you mercy and grace in Jesus Christ if you'll trust in him. Let's stand together, please.